Well, I think uh, the passage that we've got open in front of us this evening, I think this passage is a really dangerous passage. Uh, what do I mean by that? I uh, love that often in an evening like this, we've got quite a lot of kids here. Uh, and uh, yet, I think this is, um, well, what would I say to the kids here tonight? Let me tell you something. The grown-ups in this room, and I'm one of them, the grown-ups in this room think that this passage is just for you. The story of Zacchaeus. And it's, it's a tale that almost always makes it into children's uh, Bibles. And even uh, just before the service in the hall, back through there where little stars meet, week by week, I saw two pictures of this story. Uh, two pictures of a man kind of up a tree uh, looking at Jesus. And so lots of us tonight will be really tempted to think, well, I've, I've heard this story before. Um, I've seen it all before. I know what it's about. It's not really for me. Uh, there will, of course, be others maybe watching online or some who are here tonight who've never thought about it. But whoever we are, I'm praying this evening that we'll see the scandal, we'll see the shock that is right at the heart of this story, Luke 19, 1 to 10. Because in this passage, uh, this passage, it's a reminder that Jesus can do the impossible. Jesus can do the impossible. If you turn back to chapter 18 and you look at verse 27, well, Jesus has just met uh, a man very like Zacchaeus. He's met the rich young ruler. Um, He's seen that man walk away from him. And Jesus says in verse 24, he says, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who here ask uh, this question, who then can be saved? Look at the response in verse 27 from Jesus. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Um, In Luke chapter 19, in verses 1 to 10, the impossible becomes possible. Because this is the story of how one rich man, how one rich man became a son of Abraham. And it's a passage that that shows us, that that teaches us what salvation looks like, what it feels like. And if we're Christians this evening, it's showing us exactly what has happened to us, exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and in us. If you're not a Christian this evening or you're watching at home, this is what it, it looks like to become a Christian this story of Zacchaeus. And now sometimes uh, we have long points. Uh, I'm going to give you short points, which seems appropriate this evening, doesn't it? The height of Zacchaeus. Four little words. Here's the first word. It's the word lost. Lost. And Jesus enters Jericho. And uh, look how Zacchaeus responds. If people know anything about him, they know this, don't they? He wants to see Jesus, but he's a little guy, and there's a crowd, and so he climbs. If you look back uh, to Luke 18 again, and the story just before the rich young ruler, you can see this in verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
And in a sense, Zacchaeus, he, he's behaving like a child here, isn't he? He, he climbs a tree. It's what kids love to do. We were in the park this afternoon. Jonathan, straight away, there's a tree over there. He's up it. And I love to picture Zacchaeus, you know, pulling up his robes, uh, jumping, kind of reaching the lowest branch. He can't quite make it. Maybe he takes a, a step back. He runs this time and he pulls himself up. He's got leaves in his hair. He's smiling. He's thinking, I've not done this since I was a boy. Now, what would make a man like Zacchaeus do that? Well, maybe he'd uh, heard about uh, the amazing healing of the blind beggar on the edge of town. Perhaps a, a friend knew the rich young ruler. Or maybe word was going around at the tax office that Jesus had told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who went to pray. And the sting in the tail was that the tax collector was the one who was justified. Whatever it was he'd heard, uh, whatever he'd heard, it was enough to make him intrigued and to behave in an intriguing way. He climbs. He was important. He was used to telling people uh, what to do. We might have expected him to walk up to Jesus, to introduce himself, to shake him by the hand. But he doesn't, does he? He's lost. And yet he's also seeking. He's looking on. And he wants to know more. And yet he, he's kind of staying on the fringes, isn't he? I think tonight this teaches us something that we often forget. People are more complicated than you and I often think, don't we? It's very easy for us to categorize people. We can't always predict how they'll respond when they are confronted or they start to meet Jesus. And I think this should be an encouragement for us uh, this evening. Our culture is becoming kind of increasingly disconnected from Christianity. Many people have, today have got very, very little knowledge of Jesus. There's generations now who didn't grow up going to Sunday school or, or hearing about Jesus in assemblies. I think that can frighten some of us, and yet it's also a great opportunity because when people encounter Jesus uh, by reading part of a gospel or, or hearing a Christian share something he said, many people are actually drawn to him. Many people today don't have a kind of spiritual baggage that can block out uh, who Jesus really is. And when I uh, trained as a history teacher, uh, one of the phrases that our, our tutor Robin drummed into us all the time was this. He used to say, interrupt the psyche. Yeah, I can still hear him saying that. Uh, if you're wondering what he meant, uh, we often wondered that as well. But what Robin meant was when it comes to history, pupils often have uh, preconceptions about events or people, why they happened, uh, why they matter. Uh, they think they know as they walk into the classroom and they bring that into the lesson. And the job of the teacher is to make them think again. Now, the job of the teacher is to interrupt their psyche. It's to show them a source or something that gives a different angle, challenges their view. It's the same with Jesus. Because when people meet him, people who don't know much about him or think they know something about him, when they meet him, they often find that the real Jesus is much more shocking 
uh, much more wonderful, much more interesting than they realize. Not only that, they find he's interested in them. I think there's another little application here before we move on to the second point. I think this, the beginning of this passage, this man Zacchaeus, I think he teaches us that you and I need to pray for the rich. I think we often, very understandably, we have a concern, don't we, for those in our culture who have the, the, the greatest financial, the greatest social needs. And as Christians, we're called to, to look to help them in ways that we can. And yet, if I was to ask you the question, this question, who, who needs our compassion? Who needs God's compassion? I think some of the people who need that compassion the most are the wealthiest, aren't they? What about people like Zacchaeus? What about people whose hands already seem full? Jesus says it is hard for people like this to to enter the kingdom. And maybe tonight there's a challenge for us. Do we have compassion for people like Zacchaeus? Do we pray for wealthy people we know? Or are we, if we're honest, more likely to envy them or judge them? This passage shows us what lostness often looks like. But that's not all. The second little heading is loved. Loved. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And Jesus sees this man up in the tree, and he's insistent, isn't he? And Jesus doesn't say, you know, I'd like to stay. No, it's imperative. Jesus and Zacchaeus have got an appointment. And uh, I think there's something so moving about this. Um, In Jesus' day, of course, eating together was a sign of friendship. Entering someone's home, uh, it was a mark of acceptance. And no doubt, because of his job, because of his uh, behavior, Zacchaeus, well, Zacchaeus would have been used to dining alone. And yet, Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted to be close to him. Uh, The instinctive attitude of Jesus towards Zacchaeus was not to be repelled by him, but to go to him. Uh, That is what the Lord Jesus is like. And I think his his posture towards this man, his, his attitude towards him, it takes us right to the heart of the Christian faith, the God revealed in Scripture. God revealed in Scripture is a God who loves to to come close, to to dwell with His people, to to eat with them. That's what we see in Eden, isn't it? At the end end of the Bible, all the way through the Bible. Uh, I said this morning as we looked at at Luke chapter 14, that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is, He's either leaving a meal or at a meal or going to a meal But Jesus has also left us a meal. 
Jesus has provided a way for you and I to share fellowship with him. He's, he's given us bread. He's given us wine to feed our faith, to, to point us to the great banquet to come. Jesus treats this man, he, he treats Zacchaeus with kindness, with love. It fills him with joy, verse 6. He hurried down, he, he came down, he received him joyfully. And I said at the beginning that this, this passage is a kind of template or a kind of a mirror image of what happens uh, to us as uh, we come to faith. Well, I wonder, have you experienced that? Do you know what it's like to be accepted, to be embraced by the Lord Jesus, to be welcomed by Him? I think one of the things that can happen when we've been Christians a while is we start to lose that joy, don't we? We, we look back on the early days, we, we think of them as the high point. We sort of wish we could go back to them. But Jesus this evening is as full of love for, for you and me as he was the day our Christian lives began. And Jesus is one who, who loves to, to eat, to, to share fellowship, to have communion with people like us. Uh, I'm not on Twitter, uh, but uh, I stumbled upon a tweet recently that I absolutely loved. It recounted a story from the life of uh, a 19th century theology professor at New College. Uh, he would not have been on Twitter. Uh, his name was Rabbi John Duncan. And you can probably guess from his name that he was a bit of an expert in the, the Old Testament, uh, the, the biblical languages. But he was not an ivory tower kind of figure. And at one point during a uh, church service, he saw a young woman um, hesitating to take the Lord's Supper. And he could see that, that she was kind of holding back from it. Uh, she, he could see that she was perhaps conscious of her sin, her guilt. He, she felt unable to, to come forward. Duncan said to him, he just said this, take it. Take it, lass. Take it. It's meant for sinners. And I think Zacchaeus, well, he must have taken the Lord's Supper. And he ate with Jesus but later on in his life, he must have taken the Lord's Supper perhaps many times after his conversion. And yet he never forgot the very first meal that he shared with his Savior. He was lost, and yet he was loved. There's a third little word. It's a little bit longer. Here it is, enraged enraged. Look at the response to this newfound friendship. There is grumbling, uh, there is criticism, uh, there is real anger. Uh, I heard uh, recently uh, about uh, an author called Flannery O'Connor. I've not actually read uh, any of her works myself. I'm hoping to do so at some point. But she was, a, she was an American author who apparently really understood how religious people tend to think. And uh, apparently in one of her short stories, 
It's called Revelation. And the main character, Mrs. Turpin, Mrs. Turpin has a vision. And she sees a bridge going up to heaven. She sees all sorts of people she despises at the head of the line. Freaks, she says, and, and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. At the end of the line are people like her, religious people. O'Connor writes this, they were marching behind, marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were on key, marching up to heaven. And she could see by their shocked and altered faces, even their virtues were being burned away. This is the kind of scandal at the heart of the gospel. The crowd denounce Jesus. He has, he has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. And yet, this is an insult that Jesus treats as a badge of honor. See, this morning I said that at the heart of the gospel, we, we say to ourselves, why have I been invited why am I a guest? Well, the opposite of that is what we see in this passage as people respond to Jesus' acceptance of, of Zacchaeus. They're asking a different question. They're saying, why is he his guest? I think when it comes to our sin, it's yeah, easy to see it in others, isn't it? Far more easily than we see it in ourselves. Zacchaeus was not the kind of person Jesus was meant to be mixing with. And yet, what does Jesus say in Matthew's gospel? He says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're entering the kingdom ahead of you. See, God's grace, friends, it's infuriating. God's grace makes people angry. There is an edge to it. There is something unacceptable about it. You and I don't think God should work like this, and yet God does. I think this should leave us with some questions. Who do you and I tend to think could never enter God's kingdom? Who do we often think is beyond God's mercy? Is there anyone we know who, who's too big a sinner for Jesus or for St. Peter's? What is our attitude to the person who comes to church with a past? Do we welcome them? Are we like... Ananias in Acts 9, whose first words to Saul, who'd persecuted the church, were brother. One author says that as Christians, you and I, we're all what he calls recovering Pharisees. All of us, we naturally think that we're saved by what we do. And so if we conform to certain ethical standards, if we're nice, if we're good Christians, you and I can easily think that's the ground for our acceptance. Uh, Grant McCaskill, who I think some of us here know, he, he's a theologian, 
And he's pointed out that, that legalism often functions as what he calls social capital. And what he means by that is this, that legalism is not something that, that just operates on the kind of vertical plane between us and God. No, legalism operates on the horizontal too. It's not just that I try to impress God with my works. No, those things can become a means of, of pleasing and, and impressing others, of, of gaining acceptance and, and approval in their eyes. And so we might have got into the kingdom of God by grace, but we stay in the kingdom by doing all kinds of other things by going to the right conferences, by doing enough in church, by using the right phrases, by shunning the right or the wrong kind of Christians. And when we do that, we can all join a club where we sit around and thank God that we are not like other men, that we are the ones in what Lewis called the inner ring. Well, friends, that is an anti-gospel, as Chris spoke about this morning. The Christian life is an ongoing journey of realizing our deep need for Jesus. We, we never get past this. All of us are saved by grace. All of us need to be cleansed. All of us have the same problem, the same condition. And that is true however shiny we look on the outside. And maybe deep down, though we'd never admit it, that makes us angry. And yet, if it does, it's proof that we're starting to understand this story. Four words, lost, loved, enraged. Here's the last word, changed, changed. Uh, in verse 8, Zacchaeus has got a speech to make. Uh, but I think, I think the lovely thing here is that in many ways his actions speak louder than words, don't they? Um, he makes a promise. Uh, he lets go of his riches. He, he opens up his hands to others, uh, double, fourfold. The action that he takes, well, that action is a sign of his repentance. And from now on, money will no longer occupy the central place. He had realized that only Jesus could give the true, the lasting wealth that he longed for. It's a reminder, isn't it, in the words of Luther, that though we're saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. There's always a response. There's always a turning out because of what God has done in our lives. And when a person comes to faith in Jesus, their, their life begins to change. Their, their loves are reordered, and the progress can be painfully slow. There can be slip-ups, but if we've placed our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in us tonight. And Zacchaeus, the one who'd been up a tree, well, he now starts looking like a tree, doesn't he? He now starts bearing fruit like the tree in Psalm 1. 
And I think Paul could have been describing Zacchaeus when he wrote Ephesians 2. He says, we are saved by grace. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Same is true for you and me tonight. This story of Zacchaeus, it's our story too. God planned our salvation and God has planned our service. And it's our privilege to live and to honor him. The Voyage of the Don Treader, I think, has got probably the best opening line of any story. Here it is. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. It's great, isn't it? And the story of Eustace is the story of a changed life. He was proud. He thought he was above the other children in Narnia, if you know the story. At one point, he finds himself in a cave full of treasure. And he puts on this kind of gold bracelet. And yet when he wakes up, he discovers that he's turned into a dragon. And at first, I mean, I think it's like every little boy's dream, isn't it, to become a dragon? He thinks it will give him the power, the respect that he craves. But he soon realizes he's cut off, he's isolated, and he wants to change. And Aslan knows what needs to happen. He leads him to a great well. And Eustace recounts what happened. The lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. I was smoother and smaller than I I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much. He threw me into the water. Smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. And friends, I think, I think Zacchaeus, I think each of us this evening, if we're Christians, I think we all know what Eustace is talking about, don't we? Sometimes God is at work in our lives. God has to humble us God has to do difficult, painful work in us. Sometimes he has to do that before we see our need for him. Sometimes he continues to have to do that after we put our trust in him. He calls us to give things up as Zacchaeus, by work of God's grace, gave up some of his riches here. He wants to change us. He wants to make us whole. And Zacchaeus was someone who was changed by this encounter with Jesus. There was still work to be done, but a process had begun in his life. Maybe tonight you can relate to that. You see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He's totally committed to his people. Once he gets hold of us, he never lets go of us. 
And his commitment is to change you and me from one degree of glory till the next, till we finally see him, till we're finally and fully changed. Uh, a few years ago, just before uh, Marianne and I got married, I uh, lost some uh, really special photographs. And it was one of those kind of iPhone nightmares where you think that things are saved on an iCloud and you delete lots of things to create space on a phone that is getting old. And I pressed the wrong button and all these photographs were gone. And a few years went by, and to be honest, I'd completely given up hope. But then one day, my dad, he said, kind of out of the blue, he said, I, I think I saved some of those pictures. And all of a sudden, I had these pictures back. And I am not ashamed to, to say that as I looked over them, I was welling up. I was very emotional. And I think in many ways, salvation is like that. It's joyful. It's unexpected. It's surprising. It's wonderful. It's God getting someone back. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. And friends, salvation is shocking. Because whether we've had a memorable conversion like Zacchaeus, or whether we can never remember a day we didn't know and love the Lord Jesus, all of our conversions, well, all of them are controversial. See, Zacchaeus, his name uh, meant pure, or innocent, or righteous, but none of us is any of those things, are we? And none of us deserves a place in God's family. And back in the garden, our first parents, they ate from the tree. They disobeyed God. All of us have done the same. But the God who loves to save reached out in mercy. And he sent us his son. As he passed through Jericho, Jesus had his sights on another tree on the cross. And on that tree, he bore the curse for Zacchaeus. He bore it for you, for me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, let's pray together.